Hey gorgeous, having trouble losing weight? Feeling tired, brain foggy, and just plain not like yourself? And you know your hormones are a part of the problem, but your doctor really doesn't have any answers for you and says it's normal for your age. The truth is, if you're a woman and not in tip top 100% shape, then your hormones are always a part of the problem and you need to be properly tested and treated. You could be suffering from hormonal poverty and that's a horrible place to live. Go now to thehormoneclub.com and find out how you can qualify to get your hormone levels properly tested and treated via telemedicine in your state provided by board certified medical doctors. At thehormoneclub.com, we know that every woman deserves to be hormonally rich and enjoy all the benefits that this brings. At thehormoneclub.com, you'll get what you need to lose weight, regain energy, balance your hormones and your moods, feel sexy and confident, and master midlife. See you at thehormoneclub.com. Today, you've got a decision to make. You're going to get better or you're going to get worse, but you're not going to stay the same. Which will it be? Joe Paterno. Stay tuned as a cardiac surgeon tells you how to stay off his operating table. So the big question is, how do women over 40 like us keep weight off, have great energy, balance our hormones and our moods, feel sexy and confident and master midlife? If you're like most of us, you're not getting the answers you need and remain confused and pretty hopeless to ever feel like yourself again. As an OBGYN, I had to discover for myself the truth about what creates a rock-solid metabolism, lasting weight loss, and supercharged energy after 40 in order to lose 100 pounds and fix my fatigue. Now, I'm on a mission. This podcast is designed to share the natural tools you need for impactful results and to give you clarity on the answers to your midlife metabolism challenges. Join me for tangible natural strategies to crush the hormone imbalances you're facing and help you get unstuck from the sidelines of life. My name is Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Welcome to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Hormone Prescription with Dr. Kieran. Thank you so much for joining me today as we dive into avoiding heart disease, staying off the cardiac surgeon's operating table. Up to half of all first heart attacks are fatal and women don't have the same symptomatology that men have. So we're more at risk for higher fatality with heart disease, the number one killer of women over 50. And you might not be getting everything that could let you know if this is a problem you in particular need to be concerned about at your mainstream doctor's office. And Dr. Philip is going to tell you what you need to know today. This is super powerful information that I really want you to hear. And it will, it may change your life. I had several patients who's had these coronary calcium scans and were sent to the emergency room and had cardiac bypass and it saved their life. So maybe that's you. So I want you to listen up. I'll tell you a little bit about Dr. Philip and then we'll get started. We'll also address that quote that I offered at the beginning. It's super important. So Dr. Philip Ovedia has done so many things. We went to the same med school, which when we went, was called Jefferson Medical College. Now it's called Sidney Kimmel School of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University. And he's a cardiothoracic surgeon. He trained at Tufts New England Medical School. He practices in Clearwater, Florida. He has a company called Ovadia Cardiothoracic Surgery. And he struggled with obesity 
and transformed his health, lost 100 pounds, just like I did, by focusing on his way of eating. He mostly eats carnivorous, which we get into in the episode. And if you're gasping, I thought that was bad. You want to listen up because he tells you exactly why it's not bad, but necessary. And he's extensively researched the health benefits of low carb with a focus on heart health through many hours of research. He has a book called Stay Off My Operating Table, which is certainly something we should all aspire to. He talks about and teaches about optimizing metabolic health to prevent heart disease and other chronic diseases. Notice I didn't say cholesterol. That's not the issue. He tells you why, and he tells you what is the issue. He hosts a podcast called Stay Off My Operating Table that is amazing. I was a guest on it. You might want to check out that episode because as a gynecologic surgeon, I've done many, many hysterectomies, and my goal in treating women's hormones is to keep them off my operating table. So we both are truth seers, truth tellers, and truth teachers. You're going to learn a lot in this episode. He's established Obedia Heart Health, which is a telehealth practice that focuses on the prevention and treatment of metabolic and heart disease, utilizing lifestyle and dietary modification. He incorporates his hands-on clinical experience with heart disease and the personal insight he's gained in his own struggle with obesity and poor metabolic health and the research that he's done into his teachings. So I hope you'll listen up and please help me welcome Dr. Philip Ovadia to the show. Hi, Kieran. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, I had so much fun being on your podcast, Stay Off My Operating Table. It's an excellent episode. If you're listening here, you might want to listen to that. I highly recommend his podcast. And super excited to dive into the details about metabolic health, insulin resistance, heart disease. This is super important for women over 40, particularly women in menopause. I was actually talking with a patient earlier today and she's doing all the right things and her fasting blood sugar and her fasting insulin and her A1C are starting to creep up. So it's a common problem for women that they get insulin resistant because of the hormonal poverty that they're suffering, for one. There are other reasons, too. But I'm wondering if you can talk about your uh, cardiac surgeon. How did this become important to you to educate people about these topics? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that really brings in both my uh, personal and professional journey. I've been a cardiac surgeon now for 20 years. And during much of that time, I was a very unhealthy heart surgeon. I had reached a point where I was morbidly obese. I was pre-diabetic. And I kind of realized I was going to end up on my own operating table, so to speak. But like so many of my patients, I was really at a loss about how to change that path. Because I was following the advice that, you know, we had been educated to give patients the eat less, move more, count your calories, eat a low fat diet and take your statins. And, you know, that was supposed to take care of heart disease. Yet, you know, it wasn't working for me personally. 
And it wasn't working for my patients because what I was seeing was my patients were trying to do that. And many of them were successful in doing that. And they were still ending up on my operating table. Thankfully, I started to come across some different information. I started to ask some different questions. And what I came to realize was that, you know, we had the wrong focus when it came to heart disease. And as I overcame my own personal health challenges and I was able to lose 100 pounds and reverse my prediabetes by doing things that were in very, very much the opposite of what we thought was the best thing to do, that is what really sparked my curiosity and ultimately set me down this journey. In the end, I realized that we were doing a lousy job of preventing heart disease, and we needed to do a better job of that. And that has really refocused my mission to keep as many people as possible off my operating table. Which I love because that was kind of my goal too towards the end of my OBGYN career because I don't even know how many hysterectomies I did. Maybe in the thousands, I would have to go back and count. And that's when I started realizing, well, wait a minute, if we fixed the hormone imbalances, most of these women would need hysterectomies and could stay off my operating table. But I don't know that that's every physician's point of view. So I think it's commendable that you really had this epiphany and have worked tirelessly to, to help educate people on this topic and really keep them off your, your operating table. Of course, it's great to know that you're there if, if it's needed. So heart disease, number one killer of women over 50, and I think for men too, correct? Oh yeah, you know, heart disease is the number one killer in the US and worldwide, and it's by a significant margin as well. And there's traditionally been a perception that women are at lower risk of heart disease. And the reality is, is that women and men essentially have the same risk of heart disease over the lifetime. It's just that women tend to have a later presentation. And what we really see is as women go through menopause, as they enter that hormonal poverty that you talk about, their incidence of heart disease becomes equal to men. So it's a very important topic for women as it is for men. Yes, it's so important. And, you know, so many women are terrified of getting breast cancer, routinely get mammograms, thermograms, do breast self-exams, but they don't worry about heart disease, which is more likely to cause their demise or disability. And so why do you think that is and, and what can we do about it? Because there are women listening right now who are going, that's not me. That's not going to happen to me. <laughs> and so why is that? And how do we get women to really pay attention? That misconception that heart disease is a, a disease of men is one problem that we struggle with. And then the second is really that heart disease, in a lot of ways, we don't focus on prevention, we focus on treatment. You look at something like breast cancer and you look at all the messaging around you know, early diagnosis and screening and mammograms, and we really don't see that same advice in heart disease. The approach in heart disease is largely when you have 
a heart attack, when you develop the heart disease, we'll take care of you. We give the ineffective advice that if you eat a low-fat diet, if you manage your cholesterol with diet and medications, that that's going to be effective heart disease prevention. And it really isn't. And one of the things that I have become such an advocate for is the early screening for heart disease. We essentially have mammograms for heart disease. And it's a test called the coronary artery calcium scan. It's a very simple, non-invasive test to do. You know, it's a CAT scan. You just lay down on the table, no IVs involved, no dye. I would say it's probably a lot easier to do than a mammogram. It literally takes five minutes and the test is gonna cost you $100. And one of the unfortunate things is that insurance doesn't cover the test So there's this perception that the test might not be worth anything, as opposed to, let's say, your mammogram that gets covered by your insurance. So everyone says, well, you know, since my insurance covering it, I definitely want to get that. But this other heart scan that I need to pay $100 or so out of pocket for, well, I'm not going to get that because my insurance doesn't cover it. But that is a very effective test at showing us heart disease in its early stages. And similar to, you know, breast cancer, If you detect it early, you can do things to stop it from being a significant problem and ultimately being one of the major causes of death. And that's one of the things I think we need to do a much better job at. I'm so glad you're talking about coronary calcium scanning. Actually, the woman I spoke with earlier, I was super surprised that her doctor actually had her go for one because it's not mainstream. I've had them. And they're $100. They are absolutely painless, much less uncomfortable than a mammogram, having done both. And I actually had a patient back after I started my fellowship in anti-aging metabolic and functional medicine when I learned about coronary calcium scanning, who I started sending everyone for them who was at risk or was interested. And she went and literally they sent her right to the ER. Actually, I had a few patients that that happened to, and this woman ended up going straight for, it was either a cath or a bypass. And she was so grateful. Her regular doctor never checked that. I mean, all they did was an EKG, but isn't it correct that by the time you have changes on an EKG, you've already got some disruption to the electrical conduction system and probably myocardial disruption is you're really, the horse is already out of the barn, right? Yeah, exactly. And again, you know, the general approach is that we'll diagnose and take care of your heart disease when you have the heart attack, the really sobering statistics are that up to half of first heart attacks are going to be fatal. And so if you're waiting for that to be your first sign of heart disease, you're really rolling the dice. And again, this is probably even more of an issue in women because as many in your audience will be aware of, as you're certainly aware of, women oftentimes don't have the typical symptoms that might precede a heart attack that, you know, can be warning signs to men that maybe something is wrong. And women, uh, for various reasons, don't get those same symptoms or don't recognize the symptoms they're having as heart symptoms. And so that even more increases the risk of, you know, having significant damage being done before you figure out that you have heart disease. 
That is very sobering and all the more reason to ask the very important question, why are coronary calcium scans not covered by insurance with heart disease being the number one killer of people over 50, men and women, and it's super cheap. Why isn't it covered and why is it not standard of care that people at risk or all people get this screening test? Very good question and, and one I've certainly asked and, and considered. And you know, ultimately, the only real answer that you can come up with here, and this is gonna sound shocking and scary to people, is the reason that I believe that coronary artery calcium scans aren't utilized more is because it would probably end up having less people on statins. It would unmask some of the ineffectiveness of statins and the LDL lowering approach. And really that's the only reason that I can figure out that these scans you know, aren't covered by insurance and utilized more. We've built this whole narrative in heart disease around lowering cholesterol. What the coronary artery calcium scan reveals is that that lowering cholesterol may not be necessary in all cases and that there are people who it really unmasks how lousy a screening metric cholesterol and specifically LDL cholesterol levels are. And if instead we shifted towards only giving treatment to the people who might benefit from it, that's going to greatly reduce the pool of people that we're treating. And uh, that seems to be the main reason why coronary artery calcium scans haven't been kind of endorsed by the societies and promoted and brought into the mainstream uh, standard of care. Yeah, and it would reduce the number of cardiac surgeries that are very lucrative for hospital systems, correct? Well, you know, ultimately, yeah, if we diagnose this earlier and intervene in the ways that will then stop the progression of the heart disease, you're right. You, we end up with a lot less cardiac catheterizations, a lot less heart surgeries. I'm all for that. Uh, but, you know, the medical system might not be as uh, inclined to, uh, to head that way. Yeah. And I came across this poem by Emily Dickinson the other day. And she, where she talks about speaking the blinding truth, but say it slant. So say it politely. You said it very politely, but I want everyone to hear it. I, I'm more kind of the blazing truth, the blinding truth. Hear what he's saying is that there's financial interest in not giving you what could optimize your health and your longevity in the mainstream medical system. So you've got to look elsewhere. And so if you're listening to this podcast, I'm glad you're here because you're going to get a lot of the truth. Can we go back to talking about the statins and the LDL and the parameters? And can you talk a little bit about that? Because this woman's doctor I spoke to earlier had put her on a statin. And of course, she's wanting to nap in the afternoon and really tired. And nobody told her that that is one of the side effects that a large majority of people on statins will experience after they've been on them for about six months because it reduces the ability to make ATP, the currency of energy in cells. I wasn't told she needed to take any ancillary supplements to support her cells in producing ATP. And then there's this question of, you know, with a total cholesterol of 220 and a LDL of 147, if she even needs it. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, sure thing. So over the past 70 years or so, the narrative that has been built around heart disease is that cholesterol is the primary driver of heart disease. And specifically, when you go to your doctor, they're going to look at one number on a basic lipid panel, your LDL cholesterol level, and they're going to tell you that that predicts your risk of heart disease. And if we intervene on that, mostly through pharmaceutical means, but also through dietary changes, that we're going to, you know, meaningfully reduce your risk of heart disease. And the reality is, is that the science tells us a different story. And this is what's referred to as the lipid heart hypothesis. And basically, the lipid heart hypothesis has two components to it. The first part is that the fat that we eat in our diet and saturated fat in particular has been villainized here, is what leads to our increased blood cholesterol levels. And then those increased blood cholesterol levels are causative of heart disease. In and of itself, having an elevated LDL cholesterol level is causative of heart disease. That's the mainstream narrative. And that, quite frankly, is, I would say, has reached the point of dogma in medicine. If you try and question this, you are seen as, a, you know, a heretic these days. And those of us that have started to question it are, are very much, uh, you know, outcasts. But the reality is, is that neither of those two components of the lipid heart hypothesis are really, you know, have been shown to be true. And there's lots of contradictory evidence to both parts of that hypothesis that we can now see. For me, Again, kind of zooming out, looking at the big picture, what I have now noticed in the 20 years that I've been doing heart surgery is increasing numbers of the patients that are ending up on my operating table are on cholesterol-lowering medications and have been for long periods of time, and they're still ending up on my table. And then, you know, the relationship between LDL cholesterol and heart disease is very variable. And both ways. So you can find plenty of people that have low LDL cholesterol levels, whether because they're taking the medication or just their physiology is such that their LDL is low, that end up with heart disease. And you can find plenty of people that have what are considered elevated LDL cholesterol levels with no evidence of heart disease. And we can follow those people over time and see that they do not develop heart disease. So in the end, what I now talk to my patients about is LDL cholesterol is a lousy measure. And we need to do better at truly figuring out who is at risk of heart disease and who isn't and who we need to be doing interventions on. And so that gets into things like advanced cholesterol testing, looking at things like your particle sizes, figuring out whether the LDL cholesterol particles that you do have, are they damaged or undamaged cholesterol? Because again, we know that the undamaged LDL cholesterol particles, what we call the large buoyant particles, do not get involved in plaque formation. And it is the damaged ones, the small dense ones and the oxidized ones that are involved in plaque formation. So when I'm working with someone, I want to figure out, you know, not how much cholesterol that you have, but what type of cholesterol that you have. And that leads us to the next part of the, the uh, question, which is, well, what causes the cholesterol particles to get damaged in the first place? 
And that leads us back to insulin resistance and metabolic health. And, you know, it's so interesting. The more of these conversations that I have with physicians from all different specialties who are looking at all these different problems that they see. And here we are, you know, you're an OB-GYN looking at, you know, all the hysterectomies that you had to do and asking why. And it kind of led you to insulin resistance and metabolic health. And I'm here as a heart surgeon looking at all these heart surgeries that I'm doing and asking why. And it leads me to insulin resistance and metabolic health. So ultimately, again, insulin resistance is a much more powerful risk factor for heart disease cholesterol is. And that's what we should be focusing on if we really want to be having a meaningful impact on heart disease. You know, it's it's super important. When I work with women on their hormones, I, I initially work with the seven main metabolic hormones. And I always say that untangling your knotted ball of hormones as if it were a ball of yarn because I used to knit when I was in college because I went to school in a cold place in Pennsylvania and so we used to knit back in the 80s you remember those big wool sweaters with the big yokes that everybody would wear so we would I would knit those and I had a cat and she would bat the yarn around and it would get all knotted and so I use that example as what's happened to your hormones by the time you're a woman over 40. And then how do you untie a knotted ball of yarn? And everybody kind of scratches their head. And then somebody says, you find the loose thread? And I say, exactly. And that loose thread is insulin when it comes to your hormones. It is the hormone that leads into that knotted ball of yarn that is all your metabolic hormones because it's programmed by the food you eat and your health is probably more influenced by the food you eat than anything else because you literally live in a food body. You're made up of everything you've eaten that's been transformed into cells. And so it's the same thing that disrupts women's sex hormones and their cortisol. And here it contributes to metabolic disruption and insulin resistance and heart disease, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, again, when we go back and really look at the science objectively, what we see is that insulin resistance is far and away the biggest risk factor for heart disease. And it's really only when I would say that politics, economics, even religion kind of got involved in this discussion that we got pushed down this other pathway of cholesterol and cholesterol only being the primary driver of heart disease. I think there's a really good book called The Cholesterol Myth, and there might be another one called The Great American Cholesterol Hoax, and kind of how they've lowered the parameters so more people qualify to take statins over the years, and really the data doesn't support that, but it doesn't matter. That's that's what we do, because we doctors prescribe medications and we do surgery. Right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. true. I also wanted to talk about, so inflammation. So insulin resistance, metabolic dysfunction, inflammation. Can you talk a little bit about how would someone know if a woman's listening and she's thinking, okay, I hear you, Dr. Philip, I'm not, might not be my cholesterol, so I'm not worried about that. Maybe mine's high, maybe mine's low. 
but I hear what you're saying. So first question would be, how would I know if I have insulin resistance? What symptoms would I have? What tests would I have? And then the other corollary to me is inflammation, right? You can have inflammation and don't necessarily have insulin resistance, like actually the woman I was talking with earlier. So she has a C-reactive protein, a protein made in the liver that is well over one. And in an optimized healthy woman, it should be less than one. And if it's not, I know she's got a certain degree of liver toxicity and inflammation. So can you talk about those insulin resistance, inflammation, and how somebody would start knowing if that's them? Yeah, definitely so. And you're right, you know, that ultimately inflammation is the mechanistic way or one of the mechanistic ways that I'll say that insulin resistance leads to heart disease because this inflammation that then damages the blood vessel wall and starts that process of plaque formation. But inflammation, as you said, can come from other things besides insulin. This is why we see things like autoimmune disorders greatly increase the risk of heart disease. Smoking, another obvious thing that causes inflammation and you know greatly increases the risk of heart disease. To start to figure this out, there are some simple things that I think people can do. And okay. you know, it turns out that there are five basic measures that we can look at to start to get a sense of whether or not we might be insulin resistant. These are our basic metrics of metabolic health. And the good news is, is that your doctor is actually gonna be on board with checking all of these. And you just don't put it together in this way and realize what, it, what the implication is. So our five, basics of, five basic metrics of metabolic health, and every woman and every man should know these, you start with your waist circumference, very easy, measure it at home, tape measure, and measure your waist circumference. Next is gonna be your blood pressure. And again, your doctor checks this pretty much every time you go to the office, or you can check it at home, you can check it at you know almost every grocery store or pharmacy these days, they all have places to check your blood pressure. And then you're gonna look at very, you know, three basic lab tests that again, most doctors are gonna get as part of your annual physical. You wanna know your fasting blood glucose level. You wanna know your HDL cholesterol, and you wanna know your triglyceride levels. The numbers, rather than just, you know, kind of putting them out here, just go to my website, ifixhearts.com. There's a free quiz right on the first page. It will, mat it will march you through the uh, metrics. And based on those five measures, you can figure out if you are metabolically healthy or not, which, you know, correlates strongly with insulin resistance. The scary statistic is that when you look at those five measures, 88% of the adults in the United States cannot, you know, are not in the optimal range for those five metrics. So in other words, that 88% of the adults in the United States are not in optimal metabolic health and are, you know, likely insulin resistant. That's what we have to recognize. But the problem is, like I said, you know, your doctor may have checked all those tests, but they're not putting it together in the right way. They've ordered your cholesterol panel, but all they're focused on is the LDL cholesterol instead of the HDL and the triglycerides. They've told you you have high blood pressure, and you know they said basically take a medication. And so that's where the uh, shortfall is, and that's why we find 
ourselves in this situation where almost everyone around us is sick. Those are some sobering statistics, Philip. 88% of adults, geez. Yeah. That is insane. And really what you said after that, that we're not addressing it. <laughs> That's sobering. It's really a lot to think about. All right. I, you know, and, and I think we'll make a nice graphic to put on social media with a link to your website so people know what measures to make. They can find the answers and uh, start doing something about it if they're not where they should be. So thank you for that. I'm wondering if you can talk about testosterone when it comes to heart disease. You know, I'm a big proponent of going from hormonal poverty to hormonal prosperity. And a part of that is replenishing what women are missing over 40. Sometimes they have, you know, an insulin disruption, cortisol, thyroid, but oftentimes sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. And I find that in particular of the sex hormones, testosterone is the highly neglected hormone when it comes to women. Most doctors think that testosterone is only about sex and sex drive for women when it's really about all the same things it's about for men, right? Muscle mass, which helps if we maintain that, it helps maintain our bones, it prevents aging, it helps stab off weight loss. It's about our neurotransmitters, our dopamine, our mental clarity, our emotional equanimity, and our sex drive, but it's about so much more. Can you talk about testosterone when it comes to heart disease? Yeah, so testosterone is very important when it comes to heart disease. And as you stated, it's important in both men and women. Most women don't recognize that testosterone is actually present in you know higher concentrations in their blood than estrogen or progesterone is. And yes, it's much lower concentrations than testosterone is in men, but it's still one of the dominant hormones and one of the important hormones. And both in men and women, it declines with age, or at least it's thought to decline with age. What's interesting is that testosterone ends up being one of the sort of uh, indirect indicators of this metabolic health that we've been talking about, you know, and there's typically inverse relationship between testosterone and insulin, meaning that as your insulin goes up and as you become more insulin resistant, your testosterone is going to go down and you're going to be at higher risk for heart disease. Testosterone, very important. The traditional focus in women when it comes to hormone replacement, and uh, specifically as it relates to cardiovascular health, the focus has always been on estrogen. You know, the protective effects of estrogen when it comes to cardiovascular disease. But as you said, testosterone is very important as well. And I certainly, you know, advocate for the women that I work with and, you know, the perimenopausal and postmenopausal women that I work with, that they do replenish their hormonal poverty, as you talk about, and that they make testosterone a part of that, you know, that that's part of the conversation with the practitioners that they're working with on that. Yeah. And I, you know, in mainstream medicine, there's no commercially available testosterone product from pharmaceutical companies. So it has to be compounded biologically identical. So what's your success with when you lobby for these women to get 
their testosterone checked and treated, how, how does that go over? Do they find that their practitioners are willing to do that? It certainly can be challenging, you know, because as you know, you know, it's fairly easy these days. There seems to be sort of the bioidentical hormone replacement clinics popping up all over the place, but uh-huh. finding ones that actually do it well and consider things like testosterone is, is, but ultimately, you know, again, this goes to the larger messaging of that you need to be in charge of your health and you need to advocate for your health. It may not be as easy as, you know, just going to the doctor that your insurance company, you know, recommends for you. This is something that you have to invest time in. You're going to have to invest money in and you have to invest effort into. You're going to have to seek out those doctors that do this well. The uh, fortunate thing is today that there are a lot more options for that, you know, because of telemedicine and, you know, being able to do remote consultations. And, you know, quite frankly, a lot of this stuff when it comes to hormone replacement can be done remotely because, you know, it's looking at lab values, it's talking to patients about their symptoms. The physical examination may not be as important there. And so a lot of this can be done remotely. And so, you know, you can get onto the internet and you can connect with practitioners that might not be local to you that are able to provide these services. It's so true. And, you know, that's why I created Her Hormone Club is so that people could have access. And I'm not the only, we don't have the only company out there. But wherever you're going, ladies, make sure you're getting your testosterone properly checked and treated because I find that the biggest mistake people make with the bioidenticals, even people who are knowledgeable, is they totally neglect the testosterone. I don't know if it's because they're afraid to prescribe it and they just don't have experience, but you got to have your testosterone for your muscle mass more than anything, I would say, but for all the health benefits that we've talked about. I got to ask you, Phil, about two other things before we wrap up. And I know you've got lots of resources for people on your website. You've got your book, you've got your podcast, you have so much. And so we'll share all of that with you before we go where you can find out more. But I got to ask you about the low fat diet issue. (laughs) If you can talk about that, because I think people get confused. Yeah. So ultimately, I think that the low fat diet recommendations uh, have been one of the most disastrous, if not the most disastrous thing when it comes to our health over the past, you know, 40 years now. The low fat diet recommendations really, you know, became prominent in 1980 with the first release of the U.S. Dietary Guidelines. And our health has gotten measure, has gotten worse by every measure you can look at during that time. What's particularly damaging about the low-fat diet recommendations is it pushes people, it necessitates the increased consumption of processed food in general, and this includes refined and processed carbohydrates, and this includes vegetable and seed oils. And by pushing people down this dietary pathway, we have made their health worse. So not only has the low-fat diet failed to achieve what it was supposed to, it's actually made the problem worse. 
any physician that is still out there recommending a low-fat diet at this point, I, I just, you know, kind of shake my head and say, what, you know, what evidence are you looking at? Like, find me patients of yours that this has actually worked for. If we're being honest, we can't because the low-fat diet does not benefit anyone's health. That is, you know, something that people need to understand. And we really need to start undoing this, this focus fat. And instead, what I tell people to focus on is eating real food, whole real food. And of course, you know, that's going to include the natural animal fats with your proteins that you're going to be eating. And prioritizing protein, I do think is an important component of the diet. And, you know, eat the fat that comes with it and eat whole real food first and foremost. That is the message that we really should be giving people when it comes to not only your heart health, but your overall health as well. And is it correct that you eat a mostly carnivorous diet now? Is that correct? Yeah, I do. I think that can be a good option. I don't say it's the only way to achieve good health. And, and you know, in my book, Stay Off My Operating Table, I go through a number of dietary patterns that can be done in a uh, healthy way mm -hmm. and in a heart healthy way. And again, the commonality is that you're eating whole real food, you're eliminating processed food, and that is the most important dietary factor that I point to. But I want people to understand that red meat is not bad for your heart. It is not bad for your health. And so I am a big advocate for incorporating it into your diet in plentiful amounts. And in my case, and many others cases, you know, it becomes the primary component of, of what we eat. And uh, I think a carnivorous diet is our most ancestrally consistent diet. And again, the people that are doing this see great results from it. Well, now you got to talk a little bit more about this. Because even like the woman I talked to earlier, a doctor told her cut down on her red meat. So that really flies in the face of the current mainstream dogma when it comes to heart disease and cholesterol. So can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. So again, this goes back to that first part of the, uh, you know, diet heart hypothesis, the lipid hypothesis that we talked about earlier, that the more fat that we eat and specifically the more saturated fat that we eat, the higher our blood cholesterol levels are going to be. And again, this has been thoroughly disproven now. We now have multiple, multiple meta-analyses that show us that saturated fat consumption in the diet is not associated with cardiovascular outcomes, with heart disease. And much of this, the early studies that led us to believe that, we now know were somewhere between poorly done and outright fraudulent. It never was true. Uh, we have now done all of this work to prove that it's not true. And in fact, you know, the reality is, is that both the American Heart Association and the U.S. Dietary Guidelines Committee have removed the limits on saturated fat from their recommendations. But they did that quietly, and most doctors <laughs> haven't gotten the message. General public hasn't gotten the message because 
They're not going to come out and say, oh, yeah, that whole thing that, you know, we built our whole industry upon. We were kind of wrong about that. You know, I guess they don't want to be like Oprah in Texas where she said that hands down has stopped me from eating another hamburger ever again. And then she got sued by the state of Texas because their meat sales went down. And I guess if the, you know, American Heart Association and the various bodies that govern in this area came out and said, Oh, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. You can, you know, eat as much meat as you want. It just, it would be a, there would be a, a big problem. So, oh my gosh, you know, there's so many questions I want to ask you. There's so many things that women don't know about heart disease, how to properly prevent it, how to properly treat it. And I, I'm sitting here thinking, I almost wish we could have time to do a master class, but I'm looking at the time and realizing that you will need to go shortly. I wanted to ask you about chelation to reverse heart disease, but we're going to have to save that for another time. Yeah. And you gave me these great quotes. So I want to end by sharing this one because I think it's really pertinent to what you're talking about. And it's from Joe Paterno and it says, today you've got a decision to make. You're going to get better or you're going to get worse, but you're not going to stay the same. Which will it be? Now, I know some of you love to come to the podcast just to hear the information and you actually implement something different in your life. But I know some of you don't because you reach out to me on social media one month and then the next year you're reaching out to me about the same problems and you haven't taken action on the things that you already heard. In life, you're either improving or going down the spiral, as I say. You're going up or down. There's no stasis. Nothing is static in life. So what are you going to choose today? And hopefully you've heard some very vital and impactful information from Dr. Philip about heart disease. And I'm going to say your call to action is go get a coronary calcium scan. Go get it. Do not think about it. It's the best $100 you will ever invest. I have seen it save women's lives. So any last words? And please share with everyone also where they can connect with you and find you online and social media. And what would you like to leave them with? Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I'd love to uh, certainly come back sometime and we can uh, dive even deeper. Like you said, you know, this is, again, another example where you start pulling on that loose thread and, uh, you know, all of a sudden the whole ball unwinds. I agree. You know, take action. Take back control of your health is what I tell people. Coronary artery calcium scanning is a great tool to utilize uh, to start doing that. And then, you know, we have a lot of other resources to help people with this. The link for all these resources will be in the show notes. Ultimately, it is about taking back control of your health and you can't be outsourcing your health to other people. Yes, absolutely. You have to become the CEO and the president of your own health to have the optimum health that you deserve. So you can have not only a decent lifespan, but you can prolong it, but you can have a better vitality span where you can actually be healthy and active and enjoy doing all the things you want to do. Those things on your bucket list, you know, the ones I'm talking about, all those countries you wanted to go to and all the the experiences that you've wanted to have that you've yet to experience. Well, you got to have 
great health to do it. And having heart disease will certainly hinder your ability to do those things. Thank you so much, Dr. Philip, for joining us today for the truth seer and truth seeker and truth teller that you are. And I love that you tell it like, not blindingly, but you tell it a little slant. So thank you for that. Thank you, Kieran. Great uh, talking with you again. And thank you for joining me for another episode of The Hormone Prescription with Dr. Kieran. Go get your coronary calcium scan. That's your job. Tell me about it on social media. Super inexpensive, super easy, and it just may save your life. Thanks so much for joining me. And I will see you next week on another episode. Until then, peace, love, and hormones, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. I know that incredible vitality occurs for women over 40 when we learn to speak hormone and balance these vital regulators to create the health and the life that we deserve. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a review and subscribe. It really does help this podcast out so much. You can visit thehormoneprescription.com where we have some free gifts for you. And you can sign up to have a hormone evaluation with me on the podcast to gain clarity into your personal situation. Until next time, remember, take small steps each day to balance your hormones and watch the wonderful changes in your health that begin to unfold for you. Talk to you soon. Hey, gorgeous. Having trouble losing weight, feeling tired, brain foggy, and just plain not like yourself? And you know your hormones are a part of the problem, but your doctor really doesn't have any answers for you and says it's normal for your age. The truth is, if you're a woman and not in tip top 100% shape, then your hormones are always a part of the problem and you need to be properly tested and treated. You could be suffering from hormonal poverty and that's a horrible place to live. Go now to thehormoneclub.com and find out how you can qualify to get your hormone levels properly tested and treated via telemedicine in your state provided by board-certified medical doctors. At thehormoneclub.com, we know that every woman deserves to be hormonally rich and enjoy all the benefits that this brings. At thehormoneclub.com, you'll get what you need to lose weight, regain energy, balance your hormones and your moods, feel sexy and confident, and master midlife. See you at thehormoneclub.com.